It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, I am joined today by the ever controversial, ever popular (laughs) Milo Yiannopoulos. Uh, You may have heard him in the news more in the past. What's happened? What's going on with him being deplatformed? What does he really believe? Where is he being falsely accused? We're going to have a constructive, honest discussion, but it's important as so many of my listeners are evangelical Christians that I remind you that When I I had a previous interview with Milo, we discussed lots of issues that we were in harmony with in terms of conservative values, et cetera. Of course, the contradiction being that that Milo is a practicing homosexual and yet finds a contradiction between that and his Catholic faith. So, of course, I sent him, can you be gay and Christian? A queer thing happened to America. He fully understands my views and my viewpoint. We're not here to discuss that, nor am I here to preach to him. He knows my views and the differences we have in the areas of harmony. We're here to discuss other things, but I, I want to say that up front because otherwise somebody's like, how come you're not yelling at him? He needs to repent. So we, we've discussed things. He knows my viewpoints. I try not yelling at myself, trust me. Uh, okay. So uh, Milo, thanks so much for, for joining us again on the Line of Fire. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So uh, normally I give a whole bio and introduction, but just the name Milo says a lot these days. It wasn't that long ago that you had a book that was number one on Amazon before it was even released, well before it was released, as soon as it was announced, that Mm -hmm. you were kind of everywhere, your voice was everywhere. Then the publisher drops you for allegations that that you were pro-pedophile, obviously outrageous allegations. And and then next thing, you're getting deplatformed left and right. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Obviously, this was not an ego issue to you. You had a message you wanted to get out, but, but how has this affected you all personally? It's got to be a pretty intense experience to, to go through all this. I think if I'd been alone, it would have been. Um, it has helped having some sort of, having some emotional support at home. But honestly, you know, I treat my career, I, I'm able to emotionally compartmentalize what I do, if you like, for work and what's real, what's, you know, my friends, my family, my relationships. So it hasn't, you know, it hasn't had the kind of unraveling effect on me that it has on some of my friends. Laura Luma, for instance, who's an investigative journalist and a stunt artist and prankster. Um, and she's, you know, I think people are pretty worried about her with some justification because of what's happened to to her recently. I wouldn't say that it's had a tremendously uh, emotional effect on me, but of course it has had a pr- effect on my career and my profession. It doesn't matter what they identify as a, BS explanation for, um, you know, trying to deplatform you or eject you from public life. It's important that people understand those of us who have been systematically deplatformed, and this is all about the next election. This is all about, you know, getting Trump back in again. Those of us who've been systematically deplatformed have, have been excluded from public life, not because we believe anything outrageous. Anytime you believe, anytime you hear a quote that I'm supposed to have said or something that I supposedly believe that shocks you, it's almost always a lie. Um, we're, we're, we're deplatformed and we're excluded from public life because we're effective, because we're persuasive, because we convert people. That's what's really, truly dangerous, because we're political evangelists who speak and write and appear in public and convert people away from the, you know, sick madness of the Democrat Party. 
you know, in drugs by the thousand. And that's why we represent an especial risk to the progressive left. And it's why they've come for us before they've come for people who actually are right wing. Mm. I don't believe in, you know, a white ethno state, but there are people who do. Uh, and those people are still on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you know, Richard Spencer, David Duke, these people are still on Twitter. They're allowed to operate their Twitter accounts without uh, fear or favor, because without worry. I mean, because every time somebody sees one of those people, it's supposed to sort of cast the right in a negative light. Um, it serves the left to have Richard Spencer and David Duke out there who are unashamed racists and white nationalists and white supremacists, whereas those of us who are not, but who are very effective at getting people persuaded or find ourselves banned, Gavin McGuinness, yeah. Laura Lima, Alex Jones, Miley Annopolis, what all these people have in common? A respectable, reasonable, center-right clutch of opinions and popularity. Mm -hmm. That's key to understanding what this is really about. So, uh, Milo, let, let me throw another name in the equation here. Uh, we, we get black constantly because we take on the moral cultural issues, because we take on LGBT activism and militant mm -hmm. abortionism. Uh, mm -hmm. One day I woke up to discover, I think, 1,200 or 900, I think it was 900 of our YouTube videos had gotten demonetized overnight. It's just like, well, what happened? Oh, I saw something. And, yeah, I saw yeah. something and, and instantly, literally, it, it, this can go on for months. The moment... The video goes live instantly. It can be Dr. Brown answers your Bible questions. Dr. Brown yep. wishes you a nice day. The instant yep. it's, it gets flagged. It's like, how, what, yes. what is it getting flagged for? And then we request review it. But, but anyway, so, I mean, we're, we're used to, to this going on, but thankfully we, we're still able to get our voice out and haven't been deplatformed. We just had a lot of battles to overcome, but let's add in another voice. Alex Jones, he's, he's been deplatformed. Uh, I'm, I appreciate some of what he says, but he's way too conspiratorial for me. Where do you fit him in? Do you, or do you identify with the Alex Joneses of the world? Where, Because you gave a list, you know, Laura, Gavin, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Alex is, a, Alex is a friend of mine. I think he's brilliant at what he does. I probably share the same views as you about his on-air performances. Um, some of it sounds great. The rest of it I can, you know, I, I'd rather do without. But um, I think Alex is wonderful. There's certainly no justification whatsoever for for nuking him off the platform. The way to understand Alex Jones and to understand Infowars, and, and you as somebody who talks about religious issues will understand what I mean perhaps better than others. I've, uh, people always are asking, what is Alex Jones's deal? Does he really mean all this stuff? And is it, all a, is it all an act? Yes, he does mean it. And no, it's not an act. The best way to understand Infowars is as a ministry. The best way to understand Alex Jones is as a preacher in that Southern style who uses very... Um, metaphoric and colorful language to describe the world that he sees around him. So when he talks about the, the Democrat Party being satanic, when he talks about, you know, lesbians being demonic and all the rest of it, he's using a sort of heavy laden metaphoric language to describe something that he thinks is um, uh, morally deplorable, let's say, or, um, uh, or, or sick in some way. Now, he's not a man of great deep spiritual faith as you or I might understand it, but he's using the language of religion to describe, to m describe morally things that he has identified as being corrupt, sick, corrosive, you know, a, a negative influences. And he's right about them all. I mean, there's a sort of political lesbianism in the, you know, Democrats and, and gender studies departments in universities. He's not wrong about that. Right. He's not wrong about a lot of this stuff. The language he uses sometimes puts people off more than his actual opinions. And that's what I think leads people to think that he's, you know, a bit cuckoo, but he isn't. He's simply using the language of religion to pass moral judgment 
on things he sees as being corrosive to the American body politic and antithetical to the idea of America. And that seems to me to be entirely reasonable. It's obviously very persuasive. Uh, it's, it's a very popular way of doing things. And if you understand him that way, I think he makes a little more sense. Uh, I, I think you can, you, can, you can reckon with him a bit more comfortably. If you understand that InfoWars isn't an online news channel, it's a ministry. And I think Alex is, is great and an, and, a, and an essential part of the ecosystem. Right. Now, when, when he was deplatformed, I immediately wrote an article, whether I agree or not, it, we're not going to repeat the Martin Niemöller poem from, from the Holocaust. You know, they came after this one and I didn't say anything. They came after that one. And I didn't say anything. You know, so when they're coming after Alex Jones, they're coming after me. They're coming after you. So I've, I've, I've been with you in that regard, despite differences I would have, especially a lot of the conspiratorial stuff and false flag stuff. But sure. the, the larger association question, this is something I want to dig into and, and try to sort through with you in terms of the intellectual dark web and the, and the all right and, and anti-Semitism, et cetera. But just, just back on, on your end so that mm. those that don't know you up close and they just hear a rumor, you said this, you said that, uh, mm. what was the reason that you lost your book contract? And what would you like to set straight about the accusations against you? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time doing this because I think that the strategy of the left is to constantly uh, put you on the back foot. So you waste three quarters of every interview you do retreading ground when everybody knows the truth already. The people making the false allegations know it's not true. The people who like you know it's not true. But you have to go through this sort of like um, excruciatingly immiserating. We'll, we'll, make it, we'll make it quick. We'll make it real quick. But I've been the victim of, of clerical sexual abuse um, and have written a book about it and uh, have made jokes about it because, as is my want, that is my prerogative. If you don't like me making jokes about things that have happened to me, don't come to see me talk and don't buy my books. Um, but it was falsely suggested uh, from, from a few remarks that I made on a late night live stream years ago that I was somehow soft on child abuse or I was pro-pedophilia or whatever. Nothing could be further from the truth than the victim of it. This is a classic example of the sociopathy, the cruelty um, of the left that will take you know, somebody on the receiving end of something and, and misrepresent them knowingly, knowingly so as a, a, a proponent for that same crime, that same moral outrage. It is the most atrocious and disgusting imaginable tactic. Um, it is, it's appalling. Uh, and, you know, selectively edited videos, which cut out where I say, I think the age of consent is about right. You know, I talk about a lot of edgy issues. I talk about sex, death, love, money, religion, politics, you name it. And, and I get into some very I get into thought experiments and uh, devil's advocacy, you know, on four or five hour live streams with people on YouTube. And it's not difficult to snatch yeah. a few quotes, jam them together and say, this guy's, you know, pro anything you could, you could create. There are hundreds of hours of me talking about very delicate subjects over beers, you know, at 3am with people on the internet. And it wouldn't be possible to construct a case that I was pro anything if you wanted. So, it's garbage. Everyone knows it's garbage. The people who pretend it's true know it's garbage. The people who are angry about it know it's garbage. I know it's garbage. You know it's garbage. Um, I don't like to waste any more time on, good enough. on false allegations. Good, good, good enough. It, it would be similar to uh, to Trump and Charlottesville. They're good people on both sides. And he was saying that neo-Nazis were, were good never people. Said, never said it. Look yeah. at the transcript. And, and, you know, Trump is not the clearest communicator. He's, I mean, he's a very effective communicator, but he's not the clearest in terms of, you know, the preci precise use of language. Exactly. Lots of repetition and, and false starts and, uh, and, and kind of like, you know, he's, he, he's, he can be quite difficult to follow. He's like a stream kind of like dodging around rocks, you know, on its way down the mountain. Um, and you get a sense of the general trajectory, but sometimes the individual sentence, do you think, wait, does he mean what? But if you look at the, 
paragraph, uh, the transcript of the words that came out of his mouth, the meaning of them could not be any clearer. Yep, I and agree. even I think um, I think it was Jake Tapper, was it, who recently admitted that Trump never said that there were good people among the white nationalists. You know, yep. CNN had claimed that that was the case for what years now. Um, finally, they slip out that they know it's not true. It's simply not true. And yet it's become something that even Republicans who don't like Trump and even some people who do like Trump now believe that he said and feel like they have to either make excuses for or condemn him for it. Fans of mine, people who adore me, believe things about me that are completely untrue. <laughs> you know, this is, this is what happens when you're in the firing line of, you know, of, of this, this, demo, this demonic yeah. leftist uh, uh Hey, listen, you can call it demonic here. I have I have a book coming out uh, in August called Jezebel's War Against America. And I look at the Jezebel of the Bible, you know, this radical feminist to emasculated men. And was, uh, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, tell you what, just ha hang on one second. We got a break and, and, sure. and we'll come back. But yeah, I, I have no problem saying there are demonic forces at they work. Are. And, uh, they are. So anyway, we'll, we'll be right back and continue this conversation with Milo. God of light. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, this is Michael Brown speaking again with Milo Yiannopoulos. I'm so glad that he was able to take time to join us on the air today. Uh, if you just tuned in, go back to the beginning of the broadcast for my initial caveats and how you can hear that Milo preaches repentance to himself. We, we didn't get into that, but he was echoing that in the background. Uh, Milo, right before the break, I mentioned a book I have coming out in August called Jezebel's War with America. And I yes. kind of connect the dots and say, hey, look, she, she was a woman who lived in the past 3,000 years ago. Jesus references a woman, false prophetess in the New Testament called Jezebel, probably just the name he gives her. And I said, look, the same demonic forces that operated through her are operating again today, connect the dots from the rise of witchcraft to radical feminism to the emasculating of, of men and maleness, uh, to the silencing of the prophetic voices, and on and on. In, in ancient idolatry, baby killing was common, sacrificing a baby. You've got the militant abortion spirit. Not, not a 50-year-old girl who's raped and is struggling and fearful, do I have an abortion or not? But we're talking about the shout your abortion, militant, celebrate yep. this, pro-infanticide yep. crowd, etc. So I connect the dots and say, there's, there's yeah. demonic junk going on. It's not just earthly and natural. You wanted to weigh in on that. I'm so glad that you are writing that book because I have something similar, related. Perhaps they'll be quite complementary to one another. Um, I'm, I'm currently assembling my thoughts on feminism, which does contain basically everything boils down to abortion. It all boils down to this in, this great invention of Christianity in the Middle Ages of the individual worth of a human being, of equality before God, which leads us into equality before the law, of the idea that we are, you know, beings created in God's image and um, uh, and, and we're all of unique moral worth and understanding that and why it's therefore impossible to support abortion. It's impossible to support the death penalty as much as we might want it for some people. Um, this is a base. This is the basic, you know, uh, societal innovation of Christianity all right throughout the West and where they don't have Christianity. Of course, you know, women are still oppressed. You know, other people are thrown off roofs and people shoot each other over minor disagreements. Um, it all boils down to this is why it all boils down to abortion. That's why abortion is the central and most important issue politically in the US, um, because it's the most important issue for humanity. It's the most important issue there is. Uh, do, do human beings have intrinsic moral worth or not? Uh, and, and the left doesn't believe that they do. 
Uh, the, the left does not believe that people have intrinsic moral worth, mainly because so many of them, you know, don't feel that way about themselves. You know, mm. <laughs> these, this, this social justice warrior psychology that damaged individuals with incredibly low self-esteem, who you know, uh, generalize from the particular and invent this entire political system based on their own, um, you know, so uh, in some cases quite justified self-loathing. Um, so I, I, my next book is about feminism. The one after that uh, is going to be about why women are so unhappy. Mm. And it focuses on witchcraft. You know, you of course will know that 1.3, 1.4 million Americans now describe themselves as Wiccans. That's more yeah. than there are Presbyterians. Exactly. This is a sign of women who've given up on God, given up on the family, and given up on motherhood. Um, you know, given up on the on the prospect of. I just saw a tweet today from a dreadful woman who writes, I think, for the Daily Beast. Um, her name is Taylor Lorenz. She's the one who was responsible for doxing Pamela Geller's children wow. and putting for putting them in the crosshairs of the jihadists. And she's tweeting today about, oh, why don't shows like The Bachelor have women of over 30 or over 40 looking for love? And I'm like, hmm, the regret setting in, isn't it, pumpkin? Uh, you know, these are women who have chosen uh, to, to forswear, you know, love, uh, babies, husband, marriage, uh, the home, all of the things that, that make women happy. Uh, instead for this kind of, you know, nebulous, empty nothing of a, of a media career in New York, you know, guaranteeing that they're going to be um, miserable uh, and, and that they're going to they're going to die, um, you know, unfulfilled and unable to realize their potential. And so I'm seeing this happen everywhere. And the rise of witchcraft is really just a a, a, a symbol of this. And yeah, it's, it's it is. Given up it, it, the family motherhood. I'm so glad you're writing this. I, I can't wait to read your book because uh, I think yours is going to come out before mine does. So I'm sure I'll, I'll lean on it heavily. Um, but, yeah, I'll, but this I'll, is, I'll send you gladly send you the, please, the, the please, PDF. Please, is, we'll get it to you because is 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 fundamental to the clash of ideologies between the left and the right in this country and this is you know this is why abortion is about this is why abortion is everything because from that question from that subject spring all of the other uh critical questions yeah. about how we should treat one another what the proper roles and ex what the proper extent of the state should be uh, how we should organize society you know how what what our what our approach to waging war should be you know like everything f uh, flows from that one central yeah. question I, and when I, you give up, sorry, go Yeah, I, I found it extraordinary that uh, that Mayor Pete, I use Mayor Pete because I always mispronounce his, his last name, which is also I, why I, I just use Milo in your case. But in, in any case, uh, with, with Mayor Pete, remarkably, as he was attacking Mike Pence's Christianity and Donald Trump's Christianity. OK, I understand how he could attack Donald Trump's Christianity and how Christian is he, et cetera. And is he a work mm -hmm. in progress? But but he refused to make a statement about late term abortion. But then pointed to one of his favorite verses in scripture, Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about caring for the least of these, which he then applies to illegal immigrants. It's like, hang on, <laughs> you, have, you have a heart for illegal immigrants, so, some, of whom are, are, some of whom are criminals and shouldn't be here, and, and Mexico doesn't want either. You, you have a heart for them, but you won't even yeah. make a statement about late-term abortion. And you, you have, right now I live in North Carolina, the governor of North Carolina refused to sign a bill that, that if a baby is born alive, that it gets medical care. Well, that's already on the book. Well, then sign it. So the, yeah. the culture of death that we have, when Mother yes. Teresa years ago made the comment that, that when women kill their own children in the womb, how, how much lower can you get than that? When it's celebrated, it, it's a whole yes. other issue. So yeah, the radical feminism, which then wants to make men into women and women into men, includes the war on gender, uh, the seductive spirit of Jezebel. So pornography which also destroys humanity and, and makes women just into sex objects and, and makes men degradable in their own eyes, on and on and on. These things are certainly interconnected. And, and where it goes, it goes the way of death. It doesn't reproduce. It doesn't bring life. It doesn't 
enhance another generation. And once again, a recent survey repeated the results of previous surveys that religious married women were the happiest of all with, with their sex lives. And in yes, general, they, they, they this has happened for decades. No surprise. Always true. Also, of course, every survey that comes out shows that uh, Republicans and relig uh, Republicans or right leaning people in general are massively better looking. They're mu much more physically attractive because they and, and this is not as frivolous, frivolous or as, as, as flippant as it sounds. It's because those of us who have an appreciation, understanding for reverence for um, institution, for religion, for, for, for the family, understand also the importance of beauty and truth and joy and these central christian virtues that have made the west a nice place to live and we have a you know we, we know that there are objective beauty standards for men just like there are for women and that they change a little over time but not that dramatically you know sort of sort of okay yes the ideal uh, womanly shape has grown and uh, shrunk uh, you know gently oscillated over over time in the west but it's never been lena dunham uh, and and it's 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 this loss of, of appreciation for beauty and truth and joy, these central Christian virtues that um, uh, that, that is, is part of the problem, the uglification of the world. And that's what my, my next, my feminism is cancer book is going, is going to be about. You know, Chesterton would, would uh, Chesterton in orthodoxy says that suicide is the greatest kind of crime anyone can commit because, you know, it's not like killing one person. You're effectively killing the world. You know, you're, 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 you're unmaking your entire world. It's like you're murdering the whole universe by killing yourself. Um, I don't know if he's quite right about that. I think abortion might be a step further because you're 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 killing a part of you that hasn't hasn't the wherewithal, the ability to fight back. It's a sort of self abnegation of, of, of even even worse kind because of the, because of the the, the murdered potential. Yeah. Uh, you know of that of that life that is part of you. It seems to me that in the abstract, it's a nice kind of, it's a nice theological point about suicide, about, you know, it being the greatest crime because you're sort of killing the world. But, but in, in real moral terms, actually, uh, you are, you are murdering a, your own potential and future. Yeah. Uh, and you're making that you're, you're making the choice and imposing the choice and violently so on someone that's innocent <laughs> and expecting it should be the safest place in the world is the mother's farm, womb. Which is, which is your own future. It is your own potential. It is your own legacy. Yeah. Uh, and people, I think, who have you know phenomenally low self-esteem, who see no value in themselves, see perhaps no value in their own legacy, in their own future, in their own potential, and therefore, you know, and also, of course, don't really see they don't because there's this extraordinary strain of sociopathy on the left. I think, and it's a natural consequence of you know not having not having faith, not having respect for the family, and not having um, you know. Uh, true proper love for other people which can only come from the realization that other people are made of the image of god have individual worth right um if you don't believe that i guess it's quite easy to just you know have the to fool yourself into the clump of cells thing and just say yes doctor suck it out um excuse the phrase but that's what they're doing uh you know sell the parts off for scrap um this kind of of sociopathic you know her like jaw-droppingly horrendous attitude to life is, yeah. is the natural consequence of not treating other human beings as, as people with intrinsic worth and value. And you can see that woman that I mentioned earlier, Taylor Lorenz, who's now kind of regretting her life choices, um, the ease with which, and even the, the glibness and, and worse than that, the, the um, gloating after she'd outed Pamela Geller's daughters, you know, said, oh, you know, these women that are famous on, on Instagram, did you know their mother is, you know, Islamophobic, crazy Pamela Geller, um, you know, trying to, you know, trying to get these kids in trouble, trying to get them fired, trying in the most unspeakably awful way to 
drive a wedge between mother and mother and daughters. And and she must have done enough research to know that the kid's dad is dead, right? Um, so she's been bringing these. The, Pam, Pamela's been bringing her children up alone. They are incredibly close and tight, but they have always been scrupulous about not identifying, you know, yeah. one, one another in public to keep everybody safe. And the sort of gloating with which Taylor Lorenz is sort of like carving up families, um, you know, bragging about having outed this because because somebody has a slightly different ideological opinion about whatever. Um, this is the, this is the mind of somebody who kills children, who stays unmarried, who suddenly wakes up one day um, at the age of thirty five and says, "Oh my goodness, what have I done? You know, what have I done with my life?" Well you asked for this, you brought this on yourself. So I don't shed tears for, for, for people like that. Although I believe that there's of course redemption available for everybody. I don't shed tears for her wasted life and opportunity because she had every available chance to, she had every, every, I mean, this is a, this is a rich girl from Connecticut. She had every bit of data in front of her. She had all the resources possible to make the right choice. And she consistently, um, studiously, deliberately made the wrong choice. You gotta jump and, in, gotta jump in. I'm studiously, deliberately jumping in. We got a break. We'll be right back with Milo. <laughs> Hi, I'm Janelle Hale, founder and CEO of the National Breast Cancer Foundation. No one should face breast cancer alone. When I was diagnosed 36 years ago, there was no internet, and I had to make a decision with little information. Early detection saved my life. It could save yours, too. Learn what every woman needs to know about breast cancer. Visit NBCF.org. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, Fritz. Thanks for joining us today on a special edition of the Line of Fire. I'm speaking with the outspoken Milo Yiannopoulos. You know, I could make this the easiest interview of my life. I could ask Milo a question and come back 20 or 30 or 40 minutes later <laughs> I go go out, make myself a salad, come back, and he'd still be weighing in. But articulate. Uh, no, no, no. I, I listen. I, I do interviews. I promise. Yeah, I, I I do interviews not infrequently, and and sometimes you get kind of the yes no type answers. So it's it's delightful to speak with Milo, who has so much to to offer. One day, sir, we'll we'll get to sit down face to face and talk. That that would be a delight. You can drink beer. I'll I'll drink uh, sparkling water. And, uh, and and we can talk face, face to face. We have no fear of alcohol, sir. <laughs> got it. Got it. All right. Yeah, that's that's a whole other subject. Catholic, Protestant, etc. That's that's a whole other we'll subject. And Milo, again, for those just tuning in, Milo does have in his, in his possession. I don't know if you ever read it. My book, Can You Be Gay and Christians? But we're not we're not focused on that issue today. OK, just for a caveat for all those just joining us, Milo. Uh, I've never, I'm no expert on, on your, your writings and speaking, but I've heard you enough. And one of my colleagues really follows you closely. I've never heard you say anything, anything that would hint at anything anti-Semitic in any way, or that you could even be accused of it as, as much as you get falsely accused. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think of you as a friend of Israel, despite the, the, the liberal Jewish influence on the radical left, I've never heard you bless Jews in a generalized way because of that. And, no. and yet here's, here's a concern I want to put out for you and, and, and get your, your thinking on 
there are those that are centrist right and then they go further to, to alt right. And some of them are associated alt right, of course, well associated with anti Semitism. But some uh-huh. that you would say centrist right or folks you associate with who freely associate with others who have strongly anti Semitic views. Now, this is not guilt by association. Someone will say to me, why do you work with such and such a publisher? They publish a book by so-and-so. It's like, well, they publish my book. That's what I stand for. I can't account yeah. for everyone that publishes. But say your friend Vox Day, you wrote a forward to his book on, on Jordan Ethics that, that came out yep. in, uh, in November. He's yes. now got a platform, uh, unauthorized.tv, uh, together yep. with, with Owen Benjamin. And I've, yes. I've challenged Owen Benjamin's recent virulent anti-Semitism, extraordinary statements being made that, that to me yeah. are very dangerous. Uh, he's, there are others that he, Owen Benjamin is working with, uh, E. Michael Jones, uh, Catholic scholar I've had on my show, and, and we've had some very, very deep, serious differences. I'm not holding you responsible for any of that. I'm not holding you responsible yeah. for- no, But I'm happy to talk- Yeah, but I, I want to I get clarity because there is something that I'm seeing rising up a fresh wave of anti-Semitism, some of it in Christian garb, some of it in, in its classical, more secular forms. And yes. it seems to be on some of the sides where otherwise I'd agree with the conservative positions. And again, with your association with Vox Day and him mm-hmm. just with Owen Benjamin on his platform, I think it's worth discussing. I don't feel like it's just some, some rabbit, you know, chasing a rabbit somewhere. No, 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 look, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. So I, I you know, the, the, oh, you're friends with so-and-so, or you've worked with so-and-so, or you are, you know, have been partners with so-and-so, who's friends with so-and-so. This is a level of, I mean, everybody's guilty by that metric, right? By that, yeah. by that standard. Yep. And I don't think it's a particularly useful way to go about anything. Um, I will agree with you that I've been very disturbed by some of the things that I've seen on Owen Benjamin's social media feeds. And it seems to me like a, a sort of, this runaway train where, first of all, he was just taboo breaking because, of course, you know, for the left, they've got, uh, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia. On the right, right. you might argue um, that anti-Semitism is a similar kind of, of taboo. And if, you know, for Gen Z, for, you know, post-millennial generations, by the way, since when did the left care about anti-Semitism in Israel? Never until they could use it to, to beat Trump, on, on, uh, despite the fact that his daughter is now is a Jew now and his son-in-law is like, it's crazy. And his, gra- his grandchildren, at one point, all of his adult his children were either married to Jews or dating Jews. Insane. Insane. Right, right. But um, yeah, yeah, suddenly the left has decided it cares about anti-Semitism. All right. Nice one, guys. Um, look, I don't like, I've been invited to go on with, with Owen Benjamin and I have declined um, on his, you know, live streams and all the rest of it because I don't like a lot of what I see over there. But doesn't that, that to me personally is no basis on which not to do business with mutual friends. Um, uh, there's probably things about Vox that you, Vox's opinions that you wouldn't like either. And I don't care whether you like that or not either. I'm responsible for what I say mm-hmm. and I'm responsible for what I do. And if I incite people into uh, ugly thoughts about others, then that I'm responsible for that. If I incite people into violence, I'm responsible for that. I'm not responsible for anything that anybody else does. Um, if you want to, I mean, look, the guy that just shot up a, I can't even remember what he shot up now. Some shooter said, oh, he was radicalized against, um, uh, Jews by the data, by, by Breitbart and, and Ben Shapiro. And it's like, oh, suddenly now we're blaming Ben Shapiro for anti-Semitic. It's just crazy. The fact is that people don't get radicalized by people on their own side. You don't get pushed to the far right by people in the center right like me. You get pushed to the far right by looking at the behavior of the far left. Feminists create men's rights activists, not me. Uh, You know, (laughs) this is a central 
this, this, this is just such an obvious fact that doesn't even seem to occur to anybody that it hardly bears repeating. And hard, but, it's, but it must be said, because people don't seem to, to, to realize this, you do not become a far-right, white, ethno-state, Jew-hating, alt-right monster because you listen to Milo and Candace Owens. Mm-hmm. You become because you look at the behavior of the far left and you seek to invert it and to become its opposite. And you seek to beat it by imitating it and becoming a mirror image of it. Right? Got it. So if you see the insane behavior of uh, secular Jews in media, um, and you know people have written entire books about why uh, American Jews are, are, you know, work in so so consistently against their own interests, right. uh, against the interests of Israel. The rest of it, people have written entire books on that. I'm not qualified to go to 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 wander into that subject, except to join millions of people in observing the phenomenon. But it, you know, if you observe that on the left, then of course you're going to want to tease and needle and prick these people um, in whatever way works. And for Generation Z, uh, who have never met anyone who was alive during the Second World War or thereafter, you know, in the, in the, in the Holocaust or, or in the immediate, the immediate aftermath, the Holocaust is the you know the Shoah, if you like, is an abstract concept that doesn't really right. speak to them any more directly than the French Revolution does. And, and, and when they see- yeah, ju- just to, just to jump in. Also, with a lot of the social justice warrior crowd, there is a healthy desire to stand with those that are perceived to be victims or outcasts. You know, it goes in extreme ways. It goes in unhealthy ways. You know, all the ringleaders. What happens? This is what the right is reacting. What the far right is reacting against. I don't think it comes out of any sort of deep-seated hatred of the Jewish people rooted in historical prejudice. I think they're just looking out at a corrupt, sick media, a corrupt, sick entertainment industry, a corrupt, sick news business, and are correctly identifying that Jews, and I include, I mean, I'm matrilineally speaking Jewish. My mother was a Jew. I was raised Catholic. I consider myself Catholic, but technically, according to Jewish law, I am Jewish too. So why we, let's say, um, are hugely overrepresented in those, in those industries. Right. Why? Yeah. Oh, there, right. There's, right. There's no like co- you are, you know, our, our extraordinary natural abilities. Why, that's why we have so many Nobel prizes, whatever. It is nonetheless true to say we are overrepresented in those industries. And I think that this young wing of the far right, let's say, is looking out on it and saying, well, every single person I see with a blue check mark on Twitter saying totally bonkers things always seems to be Jewish. Right. Why is that? Right. Now, in the ACLU or Southern Poverty Law Center, et cetera, these different groups. Right. Or, and it's not an unreasonable question to right, ask. Right. Now, and, and it's perfectly it's nothing it's, anti-Semitic to ask the question. Just just the no, point no, I was I, I was I was going to to make was that the social justice warriors, they'll, they'll often, you were mentioning that Holocaust is distant and World War II is distant. So even so. The, the, the birthing of Israel, the ashes of the Holocaust and how miraculous that was and how tiny Israel, how could it even survive? That's all past. That what they're conscious right. of is in their mind, Israel is the bully and the Palestinians are the victims. And it's not to say that everything Israel does is right, but that, that adds in. So you've got the anti-Israel narrative uh, so, well, and, 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 we're mixing up generations here, I think, because the, for the millennials, they're very pro-Palestine. Exactly. For, for them, Israel's a bully. Right. And, 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 and Israel is a proxy for all the things they don't like about America. Right. But for Generation Z underneath them, they seem not to like Israel very much either, but for a bit of a different reason. Oh, no, I, I understand. It all blends. Here, here look, just, just so you know, my thesis is, is that God called the Jewish people 
to be world changers. When we get things right, whether it be a, a Moses or an Isaiah or a Jesus or a Paul, it has this extraordinarily powerful impact. When we get things wrong, be it a Karl Marx or a George Soros or, or someone else, it, it gets really wrong. And it has and, a big impact too. You know? Yeah, yeah, it has a big impact for bad. And again, you mentioned disproportionate number of Nobel Prize winners, but you also have disproportionate number of musicians and disproportionate number of comedians and, and so on and so forth. And there's nothing anti-Semitic about asking this or discussing it. So I don't think so. And, and the other thing you've got to bear in mind is this Generation Z, they grew up um, trolls. And, uh, and this is why I have such an affinity with them. They're mischief makers by nature because they're creatures of the internet. And they're looking for taboos to smash. And perhaps the last one in public life in America still is anti-Semitism. Because I think they do correctly identify that sometimes, not all the time, not most of the time, but sometimes anti-Semitism or allegations of anti-Semitism are um, deployed to cut off debate, to stop people asking questions, to, you know, shoo people away from awkward and inconvenient facts, whether it is, you know, something that Israel did that was probably a bit much or, or whatever it is, right? I mean, I'm probably the last unreconstructed Zionist in the Western Hemisphere, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm about as pro-Israel as it's possible to get. But, Let's say if you if you were to if you were to say something like, well, maybe that was a bit of an overreaction, and probably in PR terms, it might not be good to do such and such. It's like, oh, this is just saying. Well, yeah, no, it's just, I, I'm going to jump in just because I've I've got a break coming up, and and sure. then we'll get back to your comments. But let me just say this: having written uh, a book and uh, came out in '92, and it's been continuously in print ever since. About to uh, revise and update it in September. Our hands are stained with blood, which looks at anti-Semitism in church history and then in, in secular society. It is extraordinary. Uh, now that I've confronted some uh, contemporary anti-Semites and I'm doing it as a Jewish follower of Jesus, the, yeah. the level of vile attacks, I mean, I get them all the time, like you do and the death wishes and the this and that, but yeah. the, the amount that it just suddenly, everybody comes out of the woodwork from all different angles and what well, brings them in common, black supremacists, white supremacists, what unites them is Jew hatred. And, and so, sure, anti-Semitism can be overused and there can be an overreaction. You can criticize Israel without being anti-Semitic. You can criticize the actions of liberal Jews without being anti-Semitic. But there is this, this to me, it is quite demonic. Okay. It, there, is, there, is, there is a loss of it, but I will say in, in many cases that these people are 17-year-olds in their bedroom motivated as much by trolling I'm and saying. the idea of breaking and upsetting people as the contents of what they're actually saying. As much, 50-50, maybe, maybe a lot more. I would argue a lot more, but at least 50-50. All right, we'll be right back. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, I'm speaking with Milo Yiannopoulos. This is the second time he's been on The Line of Fire with me. What I found fascinating uh, with all of my strong biblical stands about homosexuality and things like that, that when Milo was on the first time, I saw a lot of comments, oh, two of my favorite guys, two of my favorite thinkers. So uh, obviously the areas that unite us and the concerns that we have, and even with that, the Christian perspective uh, come across loudly and clearly, which is, is quite fascinating. So Milo's been deplatformed. He has uh, suffered uh, unjustly in terms of uh, unfair treatment and people just trying to ban his voice, but obviously Milo's still here and still moving forward. So what's, what's next for you personally and professionally? 
I think the uh, tolerance of your audience, by the way, speaks to their uh, suppressed secret inner Catholicism, recognizing that uh, we're all we're all fallen and broken and imperfect. And that this is why uh, evangelical Americans felt comfortable voting for Donald Trump, because they knew they weren't voting for, you know, heaven on earth. That's a that's a, a Marxist, you know, uh, 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 false, uh, false promise. You know. But by the way, that's um, that's Bible. Fallen man, that's Bible, not Catholic. But anyway, go ahead. Well, I'm talking <laughs> no, 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 about. Go, go ahead. I, I, I know. Just being able, <laughs> being able to overlook something uh, really quite huge and 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 see the you know that there is value to be found in a contradictory and imperfect person or or whatever. I mean, this is you know this is this is the root of the difference between us you know Protestants and Catholics. Is you know what's that Evelyn Worth? Is it to, you know. You guys go to church because you think you're good people, and we go because we know we're not. Um, there's this little little hidden, little inner hidden shard of of, of Catholic uh, uh, tolerance in your audience. Clearly, um, I uh, am, am sort of leading the charge now with my f- uh, friends Laura Loomer and, and Alex and Paul Joseph Watson, also, um, trying to persuade them all to, to to completely abandon social media, whatever they haven't been banned from so far. Just leave anyway. Clearly, social media is not for us. It's not for conservatives. We made a huge. Uh, strategic error, handing over distribution and, hand, and uh, amassing our audience on platforms owned by people who are dedicated to our annihilation, who want to see us, um, forgive the expression, pushed into the sea, who want to see us um, completely annihilated, who want to see our values um, driven from the public square and want to see us dead in the case of Antifa, which is the military wing of CNN. Now, what I want to do is for us to bring our, our content and our work back on our own platforms, and our own technology, and that means not wasting all of our best stuff on clever and funny tweets or throwaway nonsense, but writing books, documentaries, doing shows. So I'm going to be writing a big book every year from now on. Uh, the one this year is called Feminism is Cancer, my famous phrase that I came up with in 2015-16, which got me in. Uh, that's where my card was marked from that point, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so that's that's my, my big book. It's going to be a handbook for young men in how to spot and deal with um, women who are getting who are getting um, misled by this this poisonous and, and diabolical uh, ideology. And then the second one, uh, the year after that, is uh, provisionally titled Damaged, Why Women Are So Unhappy. And it's going to go in, as we discussed earlier in the show, to you know to witchcraft and childlessness and all the rest of all these, the bad decisions that women are making and the, and the effects that has on everybody, on the rest of us. Um, I'm also about to, I'm just in the process of closing um, uh, funding for a new weekly late night chat show, which is going to be my version of, let's say, a Johnny Carson show, um, using my, you know, characters and stand-up comedy and, and interviews and all the rest of it for a sort of hour long. It's kind of like the show that HBO would have if, if HBO wasn't mental, you know? Um, that's the way I like to think about it. Sort of the funniest, best, center-right, Christian capitalist, you know, pro-property rights, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but with a, with a, you know, with a, with a sort of Trumpian populist nationalist kind of sense of humor and, and, and you know, waspishness. Well, I've, I've got a question. Well, I imagine it's going to be kind of uh, R-rated, and that was would I would I be allowed to be yes. a guest? Yes. Would I be Still allowed to be a guest even if even if I refuse to use profanity? Would I be allowed on? <laughs> there will be lots of well, not lots, but there will be the case. Let's put it let's put it like this: if things slip out, they slip out. So some of your audience will want to you know watch with a five minute delay and a, and a you know and hands over the years, but their kids will love it and it will save many of their children from the from the worst. But this is you know again, this is, take the rough with the smooth. This is being a Catholic of this easy get out like that. Now. um, that's what I'm up to. Uh, so it's going to be uh, lots of fun. I'm and, really writing. And, and, are, are there are there new are there new social media platforms or or other type platforms that you're aware of that are, you don't have to divulge it, but that are are developing as outlets? 
there are a couple. I mean, the Trump campaign is saying they're going to try parlay, um, and, and I'm, I'm on Telegram now. But the problem is every time you move your audience, you get this massive attrition. I mean, right. I had 2.3 million people on Facebook, uh, 850,000 uh, I still have on YouTube for as long as I have that, 400,000 on Instagram. Every time you move, you lose like three-quarters of the audience, right? So eventually you're moving from minor platform to minor platform, keeping 20 people with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. What we have to do is pull our audience in. Email, email lists and our own websites. And it was back to the good old days of the Yahoo directory. You want to see what Milo's up to. You have to go to his website, to go to dangerous.com and, and see what Milo's up to. You know, we're just conservatives are just going to have to work a bit harder uh, than, than they're typically used to doing to find the stuff that they want. And that's just the way it is. So I'm retooling my enterprise and operation and, and business model and all the rest of it at the moment to, to, to take account of that fact and working with the others in the movement to, to get everybody on board as well. So we're, we're, uh, my new show, I'm going to ask people not to share it on social media, you know, banned from sharing on social media. Please do not. If, you, if you're if you desperate to share this wonderful, hilarious content with somebody, send them an email about it uh, <laughs> or buy them a subscription. Um, but please do not share anything I do on social media. I beg you, if you're a fan, if, if you're a fan, if you love me, stay away from Twitter. Um, it's quite a ballsy thing to do. It means the growth will be slower in the early days, but the audience you do retain will be real and they'll be yours and they'll, they'll be friends and they'll be supporters. And, um, you know, and that's something that people cannot take away away from you we've got to become as they say on the internet anti-fragile um you know we've got to have um we've got to have a sustainable repeatable business model that enables us to get our message out and mm -hmm. to, to you know sell people books but also to just talk to them do you ever um, do you ever do uh do you ever do debates would you like to do a catholic versus protestant debate one day I would love to do that. I think I might be a little intellectually outclassed doing it with you, but I am always up for a challenge. So I, I, I will say yes now and uh, and get reading immediately. But uh, I would love to do that. Okay. And, and for those that may not have followed what Milo was saying, he wasn't insulting me. He was being self-deprecating because someone goes, Milo insulted you and said you're not this intellectual. No, he was being self-deprecating. But any, anyway, <laughs> just remember, I, I, I didn't bring up the Protestant Catholic thing. You know? All right. So <laughs> we, we've got we've got uh, four four minutes and and change. And, and Milo, what, what I'm glad to see is that despite everything you've gone through, uh, you, are, you are not just fuming bitterness and you were not just in a pity party. You're just all the more determined to get a message out. So four minutes, if we focus on, on abortion, radical yes. feminism, why is this ultimately the life and death issue for the nation? Well, we mentioned earlier in the show about it being ultimately, uh, bo ultimately boiling down to whether or not you think that other people have intrinsic moral worth and value, right? Now, the behavior of the feminists, of the social justice warriors, and all the rest of it um, comes from their own brokenness and sociopathy. Comes from their own, you know, bitterness and hatred and self-loathing and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, it's 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 a very it's very much like the world. They feel the world has hurt them, so they want to hurt it back. And what the, the cancer that's eating away at the heart of, of the American public life is a sort of, it's a particular kind of female sociopathy. It's the kind of like, I can switch my brain off and wander into Planned Parenthood kind of sociopathy as, you know, journalism becomes feminized and, you know, as, as these industries become, you know, I mean, if you, if you look at the industry, if you look at the, the industries that are completely female dominated already, like publishing, you know, everyone who works in publishing is, is a woman. There are almost no heterosexual men working at Simon and Schuster, for instance, you know, um, these are the places where that rot has really not just set in, but eaten the entire business out. And that's why they're all insolvent and why the books they publish are so awful. Um, this sort of 
mean, vindictive sociopathy of the of the sort of feminist social justice left is really, I mean, it, it's it, it, it's at the heart of everything that's ugly and, and horrible. I mean, the censorship on social media, uh, you know, it can't, it's men like debates. You just challenged me to one. I accepted immediately uh, in the full knowledge that I, I will probably be outmatched, but loving the prospect of it and relishing the idea because I know that I'll learn something and I'll enjoy the effect. Women don't typically like that. So they don't like confrontation. They don't like conflict and they, they tend not to deal very well with it when it arrives. Um, and this is why it's schools coursework, you know, coursework is now being overemphasized rather than exams because men kind of like those moments of high pressure and women don't. The censorship on social media comes from the platforms becoming feminized and turning into, you know, this sort of domain of women where conflict and disagreement, disagreement is violence, all this kind of stuff. This is the feminization of, of society, the loss of the idea of these heroic masculine virtues. Um, abortion is at the heart of all of this because if you are able to do that to a life inside you, able to do that to a baby. It stems from the point of view of holding the belief that other people don't have value and don't have worth or don't have the same degree of worth that you do. Or if you have no idea of your self-worth or self-confidence or, 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 or value of, of, of yourself, um, how can anybody else be worth anything either when I feel so terrible? This is at the heart, this is at the root of left of leftism and particularly the sort of feminist cultural leftism that, that we're, we're all fighting against. And it's what's destroyed these industries. It's what's destroyed the press and publishing. It's what's destroying social media and, and Silicon Valley. Um, and it comes from, at its heart, not seeing other people as human beings. And that's why it sounded like I was going off on a tangent then, but that's that's what I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not seeing other people as human beings, not and, and the loss of empathy and understanding and sympathy and you know and and, and humility and just 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 the hum the, the the loss of humanity that ultimately comes from not recognizing that other people are people too. Yeah, and the that we're all equal. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that um, we're all that we're all people created in the image of God and we're all worth something. The left doesn't believe that, they, you know, this is why the communism uses people instrumentally um, versus, you know, uh, on the right where we typically have a, have more of a focus on individualism because we respect the, the uniqueness and the potential and the extraordinariness of every one individual person. Whereas these collectivist ideologies just treat people sort of, you know, as I say, instrumentally. All right. Got, I got to, got to jump in friends. Dangerous.com. By the way, we're both branded Dangerous, but you've got the website, Dangerous.com. <laughs> I look forward to continuing discussions with Milo. Thanks for joining us today, man. I appreciate it. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having me.